Rise and shine, campers. Don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Palm Springs? Hey folks, and welcome to The Goods, as you probably guessed from our little opening there. That was in reference to Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day, (laughs) just about. We're recording here on February 3rd, meaning we made it. It's tomorrow. And put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Yeah, so we mentioned this at the end of last episode. We are experimenting here on The Goods with our first ever themed month. All month we're going to watch movies around a theme. And that theme is time loops. That's right, this is time loop month on The Goods. And this is the first time loop movie that we are watching. So... I pitched Brian the idea of Time Loop Month in February for a couple of reasons. The first one is that it would be in honor of Groundhog Day, which essentially invented the subgenre of time loop movies. It's the canonical time loop movie. And to do that in February, but do different time loop movies. Don't actually do Groundhog Day as, as a focused movie. Uh, I also thought there was some meta humor in doing time loop movies over and over again at least for a month just like these characters have to experience a day in the life over and over again and this is kind of a time of year when you might feel stuck and like the days bleed into each other i don't think it was a mistake that they set it in a snowstorm in february when they made groundhog day Agreed. And time loop movies are really having a moment the past few years. Uh, Wikipedia has a list of time loop movies or movies featuring time loops. And there have been, according to that list, 20 in the past five years. I don't know exactly what criteria they use to to qualify for that list. But uh, regardless, 20 in five years is a lot. That's about half of the actual list of movies they have there if not more so they're they're definitely trending right now and i think it's going to be fun to dip our toes in different approaches to time loops mindsets toward time loops definitely now groundhog day is a favorite movie of both of us i've written a piece about it for our blog or in this.net in the past Uh, we won't be diving too deeply into the story of that one other than to say definitely watch it. We will be dancing around it this episode as well as probably the ones ahead this month. I do think that this will be the closest cousin to Groundhog Day in terms of following what I call the Groundhog Day rules for time loops. Uh, Before we jump into those rules though, I don't want to spend too long on it. I do want to talk about Groundhog Day a little bit. And I think it's fresh in both of our minds. Yesterday was Groundhog Day, the day, and we both watched Groundhog Day, the movie. And so I thought we could just briefly opine on it, although you have, in fact, as you mentioned, written extensively about it in the past. But I'm ready to talk about it, too. 
I watched it yesterday for the first time in five to ten years. So I came at it with pretty fresh eyes. And I think it really holds up. I think it's incredibly impressive how it basically invented whole cloth, this storytelling gimmick of waking up the same day every single day over and over again and really explored it really thoroughly and gives us a really good emotional arc for the main character that's almost Scroogean. Bill Murray's character in particular has a Scrooge-like perspective change, but the time loop itself is a little bit reminiscent of Scrooge's experience where he gets to go and re-witness and re-experience moments of his life. And, and for Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors in Groundhog Day, it's the same exact day over and over again. And it's just really compellingly constructed in terms of making you consider and experience that with him and really great use of repeating motifs. In fact, when we get to Groundhog Day rules, I think one of the biggest contributions to time loops that Groundhog Day did is a very distinct visual and audio cue to let you know that the time loop has restarted. And that's this iconic flip clock. I don't know what you call those going from 5.59 to 6 o'clock and I've got you, babe, coming on the radio. And that little bit that we did to open about Rise and Shine campers. I love the version of that shot when the camera is super, super close on the little cards inside the clock falling down. Just how impactful and monolithic that is. Yeah, it just becomes... You mentioned this in your post. I, I reread it after watching the movie. It's number 76 on your top 100 movie rankings, although you made that ranking a long time ago, so I don't know how it would have moved up or down that ranking since then. But um, in, in that little review that you wrote, one thing you mentioned that I very much agree with is the way that the repetition of the music and the sounds just becomes more and more irritating and depressing and like really oppressive to Bill Murray and to you. You can really experience it with him. Because there's I Got You Babe on the radio clock and then as soon as he gets up and gets into the town for the Groundhog Day festivities, there's this silly polka number called the Pennsylvania Polka and everybody's gallivanting around him as he's having a time-induced mental breakdown. And it's funny, but also you can definitely feel his annoyance and the inescapability of all the stuff around him that never changes. For me, it's interesting. Groundhog Day is pitched as a romantic comedy, I guess a high concept romantic comedy, but the romantic comedy elements are for me the weakest part and really the only weak part of Groundhog Day. I don't really like Andy McDowell very much. She's just someone who I find irritating to watch. And I think that role could have been way more interesting with a better actress. I also think the movie can't fully grapple with the fact that even though it makes sense that Phil Connors would fall in love with this woman, she is getting all of this basically over 12 hours. She's also clearly a lot younger than him. And there's just something kind of creepy and predatory. And I don't know, that aspect didn't really work for me. But the whole thing, basically everything else, how he comes to grips with it and 
figures out all these different ways to experience the movie that works for me. Yeah. I am sure we're going to revisit this as we explore Palm Springs in more detail because it kind of reevaluates or just attacks from a different angle. Some of these story points from groundhog day. Right. But with different wrinkles and different rules, which we'll obviously get into. Yes. But what I wanted to comment on was this power imbalance that if you're trying to win somebody over, well, first, let me say, I know that in our discussions leading up to the episode, you've kind of said what you just said, that Andy McDowell is kind of a non-entity to you and just not a big, uh, powerful performance. She's just there. To quote, I believe, someone from Jersey Shore, she's just there like furniture (laughs) but i think at least some of that was intentional she is just kind of presented as being the wholesome person and she's just nice across the board and is there to contradict how crude phil is and what gets him out of the loop at the end of groundhog day is this really perfect playthrough of the day where he is virtuous and he is helping everyone so i think she is just held up as this pinnacle of niceness and that if he can make himself worthy of her that's that's the scrooge-like change that he's got to make and i i don't think it's coincidental that bill murray did play scrooge at one point although i'm no fan of 1988's scrooged and we may need to revisit it come next Christmas season. I think that would be fun. I guess my last thought on that is I I buy what you're saying to a certain extent that she's just kind of this basic platonic ideal of a type that he strives for, but there's just a little too much in the movie of him wanting her specifically in lines about you're the nicest person and I love all these specific traits and quirks about you. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little little bit both places for me. Oh, for sure. There's definitely something creepy about what Bill Murray is doing, and I meant to expound a little bit more on that. Basically, in Groundhog Day, you've got one person living the loop over and over again, and he's the only one who can learn from what he's done. He's the only one who can change the things that are happening around him. And that makes this romantic relationship very manipulative him having so much more knowledge creates a power imbalance so she does not have the knowledge of everything that has happened so far and is a clean slate every time so i mean she's however much younger than him that she was when it all started but then Also, he's getting the benefit of time without physically aging. So he's, in a way, getting older and older and older. So he's much older than her, maybe 10,000 years older than her. Right. You actually just alluded to another interesting trait of these time loop movies. Um, I'm not sure this is true of everyone, but certainly Groundhog Day and Palm Springs is that the number of loops that the characters go through is very ambiguous. And I know I've seen a lot of speculation online about groundhog day and the length and i feel like you mentioned this in the article too it's 
probably somewhere between 10 and 10,000 years. Right. I've seen speculation that like if you go by the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour thing of how long it takes to master something, he masters like four different things. So like he becomes an ice sculptor and he learns a few languages and he gets really good at piano. And if you add all that up and like have nothing else, then it's like at least 10 years. But you kind of get the impression that he's also been dedicating time to other things. Yeah, I agree. I think 10 years feels low given the existential dread and just the whole arc he goes through and the sense that, as you mentioned, that we're just getting a glimpse at a couple of things that he's spent his time on, not the whole picture. But it is interesting to think about how long it might be and what that might do to the brain. And I think we'll get a little more into that this movie and and later movies too. I don't know where the best place to put this in the episode is. Maybe it would be better later on. But since we've waxed poetic a little bit on the appeal of time loop stories, I wanted to give a shout out to a guy named Tim Rogers on YouTube. He's a video game journalist. And he does a series called Action Button, where he does these really, really in-depth reviews of games. And they go from like three to six hours long and he like plays the game through 20 times and documents everything that he does and then does this really comprehensive deep dive now tim rogers's most recent video he was reviewing a game called tokimeki memorial which is an early japanese dating sim game from the beginning of the 1990s And the premise of the dating sim game is that you converse with girls at a Japanese high school. And you have dialogue options that you can say. And depending on which dialogue options you choose, you know, your social credit score either goes up or goes down. And it determines how far you're able to develop your relationship with this given girl. And I think this is very relevant to both time loop stories we'll be reviewing today because i mean that's that's what we have going on is a guy who gets multiple tries at hitting it off with a girl i think that is a compelling observation and one thing i've heard said about time loop movies is that it is kind of like a video game where you have a level and if you fail the level you reload from a save point And you try it again until you get it exactly right. And there's a lot of that in time loop movies. And it sounds like the the video that you're referring to. Definitely. So I know it's six hours long, but you can set it to 1.25 speed on YouTube. I do recommend checking that out because it has some pertinent commentary. My brother recently recommended that series to me separately. So that's now two trusted recommendations. So I think I will have to seek it out soon. I would also say if you're looking for a time loop game that you are actually able to play, because from what I understand, Tokimeki Memorial is only available in Japanese, check out The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask from 2000. That, to me, feels like Groundhog Day the game, because you are in a town full of non-player characters who are all going about their lives on a clockwork schedule. And you're the only one who gets to repeat. So you learn everybody's routine. And by the end of 
the game, you really are like Bill Murray's last virtuous loop where you've got to be going around helping everybody with an eye on your watch. I've never played it, but I really want to. Yeah, it sounds like, I bet I was inspired by that this movie at least somewhat. Probably so. It's only a few years after. So, Before we close the loop on Groundhog Day and talk a little bit more about some of the questions we'll be answering with each time loop movie this month, I wanted to first go over what are the Groundhog Day rules for time loops. I've summarized them here, Brian, and feel free to chime in, clarify, add any that I might have missed. So the first is that the cause and the, the escape are mostly unknown to the characters. The cause of triggering, starting the time loop, and the thing that ultimately allows you to escape. Now, Palm Springs will subvert this somewhat, although there is still certainly the element of that, where they don't know how to get out for much of the movie and don't really know why it's happening. So in Groundhog Day, it is completely unclear what starts the loop. It's like a curse that befalls him, but the engineer of said curse is never revealed. We, we don't know why it's happening. We kind of get a feeling why he gets out of it, just by turning into a good person, I guess. But we don't know anything about the mechanics of it. A second rule is that upon some trigger, so both of these movies do falling asleep or death, the character returns to a very specific previous moment with memories of the previous iterations of the loop, but no physical change. So if they sustained injuries or ate 10,000 calories, they would still be exactly as they had been at that previous moment, except they would remember it as if they were just waking up the next day. Now, this one's always bugged me a little bit because it is kind of a paradox in itself because the mind is part of the body. And if the body is unchanged, how could the mind be changed? I mean, obviously it hand waves it away. It's not like a <laughs> scientifically accurate scenario by any means, but I've always wondered like, what is the line drawn on that change to your brain versus what gets reset. So like if you shot yourself in the head and you sustained brain damage or you dove off 10 feet and got a concussion, how much of that would persist the next morning? Well, the rules are what happens to your, your mind persists, but what happens to your body doesn't. And it seems like those are not really clear. So I don't know. Have you ever thought about that, Brian? Right. Well, you're right that there's got to be some physical aspect to how memory is stored. You know, intrinsically, I know that's true. I think in this story, you might equate the memory with the soul. It's like the things that you experience are a, like a data file that is saved somewhere completely separate from your physical body. That certainly makes sense thematically. Yeah. It's like there's, you know, cloud storage. So you can completely destroy the, the computer on your desk, but the memory is on Google Drive. Oh, I like that. That's a really good analogy. Thank you. That helped me process this a little bit better. I'm a software development nerd, so that's probably why. Yeah, just for some context, I've seen this movie, I'd say not every year, but maybe every other year for a long time. So... I've, I've logged some reps. <laughs> Ruminated on it quite a bit. Yes. 
I do really like how, and this is earlier on than I remembered, but like on the second night, Bill Murray snaps a pencil on his nightstand to test this and then sees that it's back together in the morning. Although I thought, even with that one, if he thought he was being played by the whole town, you would think the town would be capable of replacing a pencil, you know? Oh, I suppose so. But no, I, I do like that. It's, uh, I mean, that's just another example of what Groundhog Day does so well of like really thinking through, giving us various angles and scenarios on the time loop. Um, so the next Groundhog Day rule of time loops is that everything happens exactly the same in each loop, minus whatever changes are triggered by the character's actions. So we see this to great humorous effect in Groundhog Day and some of the things that we've talked about with hearing the songs over and over. But I think my favorite is this character played by Stephen Tobolowski who's just this real dweeby insurance salesman every day approaches Phil Connors with the same Phil, Phil Connors. And it just gets Ned, Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Bing. A great performance. Yeah. I think this plays into the appeal of time loop movies where it's almost like a dollhouse for the characters where they change this thing just a little bit and they see how it impacts the landscape. What are the, the things that happen as a result of this change here or there? I like that Groundhog Day dips its toe a little bit into the idea of like chaos theory in Jurassic Park. Uh, most of the things are very mechanical and proceed in the rote way. But basically every action that bill murray takes he can't predict everything that's going to happen as a result of the things that he does so pretty much where this comes through clearest is there's a sequence in the movie when he has a really good day with the andy mcdowell character and like they almost kiss or i guess maybe they do kiss they get far along and there's like this moment where they make a snowman and Bill Murray is picking all the right dialogue options to drive up his stats. And they like fall down together in the snow and are, you know, have the meet cute faces really close together. And there's a uh, charge, uh, chemistry between them. And so then for the next few reps, Bill Murray is working on the assumption that if he does everything exactly the same as that day, he'll get at least as far. But he finds that there's some serendipity to the way things unfold. And you can't just manufacture those charged moments. Like, he can never do it quite the same way again as that one time. Yeah, I really like that that one iteration where he's really trying to force to recreate the same energy, the same magic with the with the Andy McDowell character. It just comes off so forced and so canned. And I, I think you're right that it does a great job of showing that it, it's like, you know, there, there's an element of it where you have to act in a certain way too. And, there's something about acting organically as opposed to acting rehearsed that you can't exactly replicate. Once you've experienced something, 
it won't be new for you anymore. So you're going to react differently. You're going to behave differently and you can do it a million times and get it basically exactly right. But it's, it's different from like when you experience it the first time. Uh, the next Groundhog Day rule is that the characters in the time loop have to go through the, a gamut of emotional and philosophical extremes from giddy indulgence, deep depression, confronting their role in the universe and the lives of others before accepting some truth at the conclusion of the time loop. And I read a description of this progression between these stages as paralleling the stages of grief. Interesting. And I don't know if it really goes in the same order in this movie, but I think they're all there. You know, there's, you know, denial maybe in the very first rep, but then you've got, what are they all? Bargaining grief. Right. Yeah, you definitely get some of those in there. I forget what the last one is. But eventually acceptance. Right. That's pretty interesting. One thing I really like about Groundhog Day is that it doesn't go in a smooth pattern of he's doing good, he's doing bad. It kind of swings a few different ways and doesn't flow on a very clear things get worse and then things get better arc. It kind of bounces around a little bit. Yeah, it's like at first he is really irritated that he's got to repeat everything over and over and over again. But then he hits on the idea, hey, I can live a life of pleasure with no consequences. So I'm going to eat everything in the restaurant and I'm going to, you know, again, grind my stats so that I can sleep with whatever woman in town catches my eye by taking creepy stalker notes. Then eventually... He's like, well, I'm going to try that with Rita because she seems wholesome and, and maybe, you know, maybe that'll be something new. And finds that just going rote by the book with that isn't working out. Then he gets super depressed and goes through this myriad of ways to kill himself. A really haunting segment when he does that. Yeah, pretty, pretty scary. And then he finally hits on, he's going to spend his eternity in self-improvement. Learning to do new things, trying to help people where he can. Right. The last Groundhog Day rule that I have jotted down here is that the time loop ends directly or indirectly when the characters have gone through a growth arc of some sort. So for Phil Connors, it's when he reaches his apex selflessness and gets the day exactly right in the way that he improves the lives of people the most that he can. Palm Springs, we'll see, tackles it a little bit differently, more about the romantic angle. Did you have any Groundhog Day time loop rules that I missed, Brian? I think that covers it pretty well, and we'll see that in Palm Springs, pretty much all of these are at least in there. They may be turned on their head, but... A lot are used very similarly to Groundhog Day. And to that point, I think this month we should end each review with a consideration of how the movie compares and contrasts to Groundhog Day and how closely it follows these Groundhog Day rules. I concur. Are you comfortable giving a is it good rating to Groundhog Day right now? Yes, I can throw a value on that. We can add it to our spreadsheet. So I've been a little bit afraid that I'm top-loading, giving things good ratings, although we've explained why that might be, why there's kind of a filter. I mean, we bring movies to the table that we know we want to talk about for whatever reason, and 
usually, at least so far, that reason has not been because I hate this. So we're already top-loading just by picking out movies that we either already like or that we think there will be something interesting about worth discussion. Also, a rule that I've had for myself, I will say, is that I wouldn't bring in a movie from my 100 film favorites that I wrote back in 2013, just because I've already laid out my thoughts on those in a way that I'm pretty happy with. Uh, the relative rating might change, but that I wouldn't make one of those movies the subject of a goods episode except to maybe compare and contrast it with another movie like we're doing now. Sure, we did that with Night of the Living Dead, too. So I will say, this one grows on me each time I watch it. It is really well constructed. The performance from Bill Murray is really strong. Great script. Everything about the production design is excellent. This time watching it, I was wondering how many times they actually got the crowd together on Gobbler's Knob for the Groundhog Day festivities. Like, did they shoot all of those scenes all at once, and then they had to keep track of what was different each time? So, really, this was a feat of the script supervisor and the production designers. I really think everybody brought their A-game. It's possible that I'll regret this. I'm going to give it an 8. A tour day good. This, to me, is a tour day good film. It may not be perfect, but it is really strong. Well said. So, I do think there is a fundamental flaw... And that's what I've already discussed. I think the romantic comedy piece doesn't land for me. And I don't really like Andy McDowell as the co-lead. That said, I'm also giving it an eight because I think this movie is phenomenal. I think it both invented a storytelling type and perfected it in terms of the way that it thinks through the aspects of it. And I just think whenever there's a time loop movie, it's going to be kind of like Groundhog Day, but with this twist and to me if a movie perfected something so well and really thought through the angles of it so well that is noteworthy and that's really cool and i think it's justified too uh, one moment that just really stirred me when i was watching it was the the guy who there's an old man who who lives on the streets and he dies every day and there's like maybe a five minute maybe not even that long vignette of Phil Connors, Bill Murray's character, trying to make it through a loop with the man surviving, and he just fails to. And it's just like another wrinkle on this movie's perception of mortality and the role of time in our, our lives. And I just was very moved by it. And there's a lot of things in this movie like that that I was moved or provoked by. So this is also getting a tour de good from me. It's a masterpiece. I'm glad you brought that thread up about the old homeless guy. Somehow, like, prior to the second to last time I watched the movie, I had overlooked that bit. And it is really powerful. And I, I wonder what the message is. I don't know. It, like, I guess you would say it is his time. It's his time to go. That's the day the Reaper called him home. Right. And... I don't know. It's like, is it fate? Is that... It's just something that can't be avoided. He can't be kept alive past this day. For me, it was about how the main character and kind of the universe and the rules views death. 
because death is somewhat trivialized and Phil is so empowered by the fact that he has all knowledge and all power and can undo anything and fix any mistake that it's very humbling and kind of brings back the awe of life and death when he's unable to let this man survive the day. That's a great point. Yeah, there's still limits to what you can do in a day, which I, there's a line early on, and maybe we'll restate it in Palm Springs, but when Andy Samberg is floating in the pool at the beginning and the guy comes up to him like maybe half flirtatiously and says, you know, anything can happen in a day. And Andy Samberg says, not really. <laughs> yeah. Last kind of thought experiment before we dive into Palm Springs is I wanted to, we kind of already touched on a lot of these, but the appeal of a time loop movie, I just wanted to pick apart why this is so compelling. Why is it interesting? Why is it noteworthy that Groundhog Day does it well? And and I just have a couple of thoughts real quick. One is that there's very much a wish fulfillment and fantasy aspect to it. The fact that you can indulge without consequence and you have unlimited time to do whatever you want to do. You can watch every movie. You can read every book, etc. Um, you can do whatever thing that you might think, oh, it would be so wild if I just did this one thing. But obviously it would never do because it would impact your life. There would be consequences to it. But what if I just stole this awesome car? What if I spent all my money on a ridiculously expensive restaurant? But you, you, know, you don't do those things in real life. So I think there's very much a wish fulfillment aspect to time loops. Yeah, it's like the benefits of any other kind of immortality... But then also you have a save state, like a video right. game, that you can just jump back to place that you made progress and potentially, you know, tool assist, <laughs> get get uh, better than human performance. Good uh, technology in video game terms there, because I think that's another aspect that's really compelling is there's a very visceral sense of character growth and character progression. And the loop isn't complete until the character has reached level 100, has been perfected. And you get to kind of see the whole montage is just so fun of him playing the piano and he can't play a scale. And then, you know, a thousand loops later, he's doing honky tonk improv in front of a whole live audience and playing sonatas and stuff. And it's it's just fun to watch that and kind of imagine that very video game ish exp grind yeah it's like little mini rocky montages but of every skill you can imagine because you have all the time in the world right i mean he even says he spent six months learning to flip cards into a hat <laughs> that's why it makes me think that 10 years is the absolute minimum i mean there's no way it was only 10 years if you managed to spend six months on throwing a card another appeal and i think this it's a testament that we've spent more than a half hour talking about the concept and I guess a movie that did it well is that it's just intellectually interesting to think through what a time loop is and the implications of it. The same way that time travel is very fascinating. If we ever did a Back to the Future episode or some of those other time travel movies that we talked about a while ago when we managed to do like three in a row that were all time travel it's just fun and interesting to think about on a mechanical time progression level. And I also think... In that way, the same way that time travel breaks down the rules of storytelling we take for granted of 
linear progression of time and how things have very clear and direct consequences to the actions that gets subverted and very compelling ways the basic tenets of stories are appended but not in like an incomprehensible sort of way i guess i mean the other things i've kind of already talked about how just seeing the small universe the same thing repeated over but with variations i think it's fun and i think seeing those characters go to their positive and negative limits is is really compelling but the more i've thought about it since we decided we were going to do a time loop movie month the more i've come to the conclusion that i really like time loop movies i think they're a very fun structure and i'm going to watch as many as i can in february even if we only talk about four or however many yeah i agree that they're compelling and bill murray has a line in Groundhog Day, where he's sitting at a bar with these two barfly guys, you get the sense that they're the regulars. The flapjacks guy. Yeah, and he says, What would you do if you were stuck in one place, and every day was exactly the same, and nothing that you did mattered? And one of them says, That pretty much sums it up for me. I think one of the reasons that this structure resonates with people is because a lot of people already do feel stuck. It's like one day is similar to the last and the next especially this year this was a good time to pontificate on time loop stories because kind of the whole past year has bled together at least for a lot of us that's interesting i haven't thought about it that way yeah it's just kind of a feeling of spinning wheels it's like we're all having to confront now the idea of what can we affect in our immediate surroundings? Because, you know, it's, it's the metaphorical blizzard keeping us in Punxsutawney. That we, we're all kind of limited in how much outreach we can accomplish right now. So we're finding new ways to accomplish that goal. Well said. Okay, so at long last, I am ready to start talking about Palm Springs 2020. You ready? I am. So... This movie came out right in the midst of the start of the pandemic when people were kind of still in the slightly optimistic phase where they were baking banana bread and stuff, watching Tiger King. And it got really good reviews. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.4 on IMDb. Probably going to get some Oscar noms and some Golden Globe noms. It was definitely a hit. I think it is certainly appealing and not hard to see why it was a compelling fantasy for, for people to enjoy. The movie stars Andy Samberg as Niles and Kristen Milioti as Sarah. So I've brought up Kristen Milioti a couple of times in previous episodes. She's the one who I said if I were casting a 2021 musical version of A Christmas Carol, I would have her be the Belle character. I brought her up a few times, but I think this is the first time I actually looked up how to pronounce her name. I'm pretty sure... I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. It's Miliati. So the name rang a bell for me because of that. I have not watched How I Met Your Mother, which it sounds like is her biggest role. Yeah, she's going to be starring in an HBO drama, I think later this year, possibly the following year. Um, and she's had a couple of other smaller roles. She was the first wife in Wolf of Wall Street. But Palm Springs and How I Met Your Mother are kind of her two biggest screen performances but she was the lead in the broadway version of once which was also a movie musical but she was in the broadway musical and she 
got a Tony Award nomination and she won a Grammy for her work there. And Andy Samberg, we all know. Yeah. He's the Lonely Island guy, star of the Hotel Transylvania trilogy. <laughs> for me, he's the I'm on a boat guy. That's his crowning achievement. The movie was directed and written by two newcomers. Max Barbacow is the name of the director and was written by a guy named Andy Ciara. They, this is their first credit for both of them, which I think is really impressive. For a first time major effort, I think they did a, an excellent job. One reason I bring them up is, so when I host an episode of The Goods, I typically watch the movie twice, once to just experience it and once to make my notes on the plot and various observations. And the second time through, I watched Hulu has a special uh, commentary version of the film where it's usually the, the movie in frame, but it'll kind of shrink and have, there's four people who are providing the commentary. So it's Sandberg and Miliati. And then the director and the writer both also provide commentary. But the way that it works is it doesn't show all four people for the whole film. It just shows like whenever someone's speaking, they appear. And the director and the writer both have exactly the same look. They're both slightly chubby faced, dark hair, receding hairline, hipster glasses, talking kind of like a lower, almost monotone sort of voice. And I did not realize that they were different people because I knew it was four people, but I thought I had only seen three people. But it turns out the director and the writer were two different people. I just didn't recognize them as different people when they were providing <laughs> this commentary. So I do have a couple of nuggets from that commentary version that I watched that I will intersperse throughout as, as we go here. But Great. So Palm Springs opens with the shot of a goat and an earthquake, which both will play an important role in the time loop. Particularly the goat will be a key in solving the time loop. And then we see Niles... Andy Samberg's character opening his eyes to his girlfriend, Misty, saying, wake up. And this will be the equivalent of the clock flipping from 5.59 to 6 o'clock and hearing, I got you, babe, in Groundhog Day. It's our cue that the, the loop has started over. This is one aspect that's very similar to Groundhog Day. Yeah. He always is waking up in a bed. I guess that's how most of us start <laughs> the average day. But it did feel like a very direct homage, the way that it was this shot, the same. But Yeah, I mean, no, nobody says that a time loop has to start when you wake up for the day. You could be, you know, you could be starting mid-marathon or something. Sure. We spend the next couple scenes seeing Niles floating through a day at a Palm Springs resort, floating both figuratively and literally, as he spends a lot of the time on this bright blue, visually striking pool in this pizza float. Always drinking cheap beer after cheap beer and in his Hawaiian shirt. And he gets a line that alludes to the fact that he's in a time loop when he mentions to someone yesterday, today, tomorrow, it's all the same. And then we see that it's uh, the wedding. And we had learned earlier that the reason they were at this resort was for a wedding. And at the whole wedding, Niles is very lackadaisical, cracking open a beer during the vows, not... Not wearing anything fancy. Yeah, he's still in his luau garb. Towards the end of the reception, uh, we meet Sarah. So this is Miliati's character. She's the maid of honor. She's the older sister of the bride. And she is chugging wine at the bar. 
Uh, when it's time for her to give her maid of honor speech, she's clearly dreading it. But just as she's about to go up and give the speech, Niles steps in and gives the speech in her place. And it's actually quite a nice speech. You can tell he's rehearsed it over iterations of this time loop. Although I guess at this point we don't know for sure that he's in a time loop. Right. It wasn't until this scene that I picked up on that he was already in the loop. Gotcha. And the the speech is well received. And then later on during the dancing in the reception, Niles approaches Sarah. He puts the moves on her. And this is where we see some of the Groundhog Day type things where he knows exactly what everyone's going to do. He knows when someone's going to put down a drink or step this way and that way. And it's a very smooth little bit where he he is, in fact, successful in putting the moves on Sarah. Shortly thereafter, they are in the desert. They're hooking up intensely, starting to take their clothes off when we get a very jarring shift. So all of a sudden, Niles is punctured by an arrow, as, as in shot from a bone arrow, right in his back and... Miliati starts panicking and there's kind of a knowingness to what to Niles like he he is not too surprised and he's like oh not again yeah and moments later we see J.K. Simmons in some weird intense combat camo calling out to to Niles as if he's a hunter to a prey and this is where we get the J.K. Simmons character who we'll later spend a little more time with he uses this phrase shitbird, which I thought I had heard all the variations on like combining a curse with a bland word to, to humorous effect, like asshat, for example. Shitbird was a new one for me, so I enjoyed that. As Niles is bleeding out, suffering, he hobbles over to a nearby cave in this desert and he calls out to Sarah, do not follow me. And he crawls in and then he gets sucked into some sort of weird light energy field. And then, wake up. It's wedding day again. So we've seen the start of a new time loop. It reminds me a little bit of the way that time travel looked in 12 Monkeys, where Bruce Willis got like launched down a hallway. That's what this cave reminded me a little bit of. It's like once you cross a certain threshold, it's like, a black hole and you get sucked forward really fast you get like stretched out almost yeah so at first we see niles repeating his morning routine exactly the same as the previous iteration of the loop he's floating in a pool and an angry sarah storms him what's going on and we we learn that she is now in the time loop herself he figures out that she must have followed him into the cave and that's how it triggered that they enter the time loop. So she followed him in and uh, we, we see it from her perspective then. Like she's panicking, she's going to make sure he's okay as he was shot by the arrow. She gets sucked in and then she wakes up in a hotel room and gets. we get a very miniature version of the Bill Murray. Is this a joke? What's going on? How am I living the same day again? She goes and she attacks Niles and She's starting to piece it together. For whatever reason, this first day takes a very chaotic turn. Tala, the bride, the sister, comes out and says, What are you doing, Sarah? But she slips as she does so, and she busts her teeth. And um, I, I imagined 
you kind of uh, not enjoying this, Brian. You know, I don't like tooth injuries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was this was bad. But it also what it reminded me of was in Meet the Parents when somebody spikes the bride in the face with a volleyball and breaks her nose right before the wedding. Oh, I haven't seen Meet the Parents. So definitely if you do that, that's pretty <laughs> cringe inducing. You don't want to mutilate the bride right before the wedding. That creates problems for everybody. Agreed. One thing we see during this chaos is Sarah throwing beer cans at Niles, who has jumped into the water. And I thought this was very strikingly shot. It reminded me of like a war film, like bombs or something coming after him because we see the beer cans enter the water. Yeah, like the way that bullets spiral through the water. So then Sarah and Niles have the time loop conversation. He explains, it's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. So leaning on the hard work that Groundhog Day has done to culturally prepare us for this type of story. Then we see Sarah beginning to try and figure out how to get out of the loop herself. It's the denial phase. So she tries driving really far away from the wedding. And of course she falls asleep and wakes back up. She commits suicide. She tries to do the Groundhog Day good karma route. And this one, interestingly, she goes and tells the bride something, and uh, Tala, the bride, reacts strongly. But during this this segment, Niles is continually trying to convince her that the loop is inescapable, so nothing she does matters. Why are you bothering to do all this stuff? And at some point, we learn about Roy, who is that character played by J.K. Simmons, who was someone that in a previous iteration, Roy and Niles had bonded and had gotten very inebriated and high, uh, lots of hallucinogenic use. And Roy kind of in that stoner sort of way professed wishing that this moment, that this night could last forever. And Niles brought Roy into the cave like, oh, you want it to last forever? Let's do this. And ever since then, Roy has obviously in this own circle of hell for him has constantly sought out to punish Niles. It's interesting having that third character in there too. I think it's really interesting because a big way this movie departs from Groundhog Day is you have a really clear start, a very clear reason that the loop has begun. So there's this portal out in the desert and anybody who goes through it joins the loop. So Andy Samberg has a lot of power. And he can jump people into his little time gang if he wants to. So I was going to save this for things I didn't like, but since you brought it up, I'll bring it out now. I think it is implausible that he has never brought anyone else into the time loop. I feel like if you're going to be around that long and the only thing that actually has consequences is somebody else going into the time loop. I mean, if you're doing that thousands of times, you feel like one day you would be psychologically at the point where you're like, I just want to feel like I have power over something and bring someone else in there. And then it got me wondering, what if you got like the whole wedding group of people in there? What if you gradually expanded it beyond that? You had people coordinate to bring in the ever-growing part of the world into the time loop. So eventually you could maybe get every single person in the world in the time loop. It would be a very different story. It'd be interesting to see 
how that route would work. That's really interesting. So the way it's presented in the movie is like he did it once and now Roy is after him forever. And that alone is enough of a hassle that he has sworn it off. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting that they had Roy live far enough away from the wedding that he isn't trying this every day. Uh, you know, a good number of days, he is happy to just stay at home. And he's, like, not close enough to any of the family members that he absolutely has to be there at the wedding. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter whether he's there or not. Right. Um. So that provides a little bit of variety to the day. Yeah. But I do really like your idea about bringing in more and more people. It's kind of like, I think there's a SpongeBob episode where there's some big problem threatening the town and the way that they solve it at the end is they just uproot the town and move it somewhere else <laughs> it's like it either got polluted or it's going to be destroyed by an asteroid or something and the solution is oh we'll just all agree that we'll move to this new place and call this the town now that's pretty funny so it's like yeah everybody get in the time loop and we'll all figure this out together eventually sarah gives up on trying to get out of the time loop and decides to just chill with Niles. And there's a good moment where she basically has her breaking point. She says, it didn't work. Life is meaningless. Let's get the fuck out of here. Which made me laugh. And that's when we get to this portion of the story that I have named frequently throughout our podcast as the promise of the premise. So it's kind of in a nutshell, what is the reason that you're telling this story? What is the, the main hook? And that is Sarah and Niles living life without consequences, taking advantage of the time loop together, gradually falling in love. I was surprised when I watched it again. This was very prominent for me in my brain from the one time I watched it early in 2020. And I watched it again. I was very disappointed that it only goes on for 10 minutes, basically, like this, this segment. It, it doesn't go on very long. It kind of apexes one evening when they're tripping on mushrooms together in a tent and really bonding, really hitting it off. And through ambiguous reasons, see dinosaurs in the distance. And they kind of connect over this. And they finally are drifting to sleep next to each other, fully connected. And Sarah insists, let's get this over with. And they finally hook up. They finally have sex. And then there's this really nice little moment after that where She's trying not to fall asleep. She's just savoring being next to Miles. When they both wake up the next morning, we get cut back and forth between them, just kind of smiling, basking in the, the night before. Before, we get kind of a, a big twist here, a turning point. Because Sarah was lingering in the bed, which typically she'd been getting right, right up out of bed, she's confronted with someone who she had, in fact, been sharing the hotel room with, and it is Abe the groom. She had been sleeping with Abe the night before her sister's wedding, her sister's groom-to-be, and we now realize that there's an element of torture to her in this because every single morning she's waking up confronting what has to be among the worst decisions she's ever made. This is a big structural difference from Groundhog Day in that we keep learning things about the loop like the normal course of the day's events, which in Groundhog Day, we just get it all bing, bang, boom, you know, 
A, B, C, D happen, and then the day is over. But in Palm Springs, we learn things that happen in between events that we've seen, and they change and contextualize the things that we know about what is happening here. Uh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. It's like we see, if, if the day is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, we see B and C on the first loop. And then later we see F. And then, oh shoot, we finally see A, which changes everything we know about B and C, etc. That's clever. Exactly. There's also sometimes, I thought this was a little strange, where like we'll see things from one character's perspective for a while, and then we will jump back and see that same time span from another character's perspective. And when you're already doing weird things with time, that makes things a little hard to keep track of. Yeah, although I feel like it almost, it, it if you're going to do that, a time loop is basically the least bad time to do that for because there is an element of time doesn't really matter. But I see what you're saying for sure. There's a few times it we'll see it from Niall's perspective and then we'll go and see it from Sarah's perspective and it adds another wrinkle on it. So before we leave this plot point of Sarah waking up in bed with Abe, the groom, was wondering if you caught on to Abe's connection to the goods. No, I saw that you wrote a little note there. Who is this? So Abe is played by Tyler Hecklin, who was in Everybody Wants Some as the senior who busts the baseball with the axe, one of the competitive seniors. Oh. He's got a mustache and shaggy hair and Everybody Wants Some, and he's not nearly as like, I think he put on some muscle. In between that, he, he later played Superman, actually, in some of the DC stuff. So I didn't make that connection until until I was rewatching it this time. I was like, is that that guy? And it is that guy. So that's fine. Speaking of goods connections, this is maybe not the logical place to insert this, but I got my brother a cameo for his birthday, which is this app that you can like pay X amount of money and a celebrity will record a little blurb for the person you're sending it to. Of featured performers so far in Goods movies, I've only seen that uh, Leah Thompson and Ashlyn from High School Musical, the musical, the series, are on there. I think that's about it. It's funny you bring up Cameo, because I've had the dream for this podcast of using Cameo as a way to essentially get an actor from a movie we watch to appear in the episode, basically. So like if we choose it in advance, I, I do have a specific one in mind that I will not spoil at this moment, but you know, there are varying levels of cost, but um, if we found someone and basically told them what we were doing and see if they gave us like a little 30 second blurb to include, even if it's just saying hi and thank you for talking about my movie or something. I thought that'd be fun. Yeah, I think so too. So now that Sarah is confronting that her eternity is waking up every morning, facing the guilt of what she's done to her sister, she quickly backslides into the deep existential angst portion of that time loop emotional arc that everybody eventually goes through. And it's kind of off-putting for Niles, who felt like they had just connected more than they ever previously had in the previous iteration of the loop. So, so during that next day, when Sarah's feeling down and Niles is feeling up, they have another confrontation with Roy that really turns nasty for everyone involved. 
Roy gets kind of mutilated by a car. Niles and Sarah are arguing. And Niles admits that, despite denying it repeatedly previously, that he had slept with Sarah. He just kind of offhandedly says that he'd done it thousands of times in earlier rounds of the time loop. I admit, I had a really visceral reaction to him saying that. Like, it felt so maddeningly dehumanizing. It's kind of like what we were talking about with uh, the Andy McDowell character and how it just feels really predatory. But I don't know. It was up there with Sheldrake giving $100 to Fran in the apartment. Yeah, I mean, admitting that you've been with people in past loops you you mentioned a dollhouse they are it's kind of like uh it's kind of like paper dolls or something they become insignificant when they can just be rerun back to the save point and of course the version that you're talking to now on this day who has been through the loop with you doesn't have the memories of those other iterations so it's on the one hand, it's like you've done something to her that she can't remember, which is skeevy, but also you haven't. So there's like a sliding scale of skeeviness here. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting because by doing that, you're like bringing her back to a place where she was not. She was a paper doll, as you put it. I don't know, but yeah, that I reacted strongly to that. So this very much sets off Sarah, who. Now, the one thing that kind of had been going for her in the time loop with this connection with Niles has also been kind of ruined. And she gets this steely look on her face and she vows she's going to get out of the time loop and she dives in front of a truck and kind of ends her loop for that day. And then the next day, Niles can't find Sarah anywhere. So his loop is restarted. We see several different versions of him looking for her and then essentially sliding even deeper into desperation and depression as he realizes that he can't find her. And I think it's meant to be somewhat ambiguous to the viewer about whether she's even still in the time loop at this point. Right. Yeah, I was questioning for a little bit if she was still looping. But I think what it is is that on this day that's looping, she got up earlier than he did. So she has a little bit of time in the day that she can do stuff before he is conscious because one of the mornings she like surprises him and they're still in the loop but she's there when he wakes up right yeah there are a few times when when he wakes up to her barging into the room so as things get worse and worse for niles there's one loop where he's kind of aimlessly hanging out with the groomsmen lying in the groom's hotel room as they're kind of doing drugs and celebrating and he flops onto a pillow and it's Abe's pillow. And we know, but he does not know, that that is where she has been waking up every morning. And he sniffs Sarah's hair mist, which is something that had previously come up in discussion. And he immediately pieces it all together. He figures out why Sarah had felt so guilty and terrible about being stuck in this specific day, waking up in that spot over and over again. And it leads to a couple of interesting scenes where he basically confronts the groom during the wedding and they have this ridiculous fight scene and it's kind of one of the last bits before Niles hits his his breaking point when he does hit that breaking point he he decides to seek out Roy the guy who has been torturing him 
although hasn't been seen in a while. He drives out to Roy's house in Irvine, California, to basically get some advice, encounter someone who has some semblance of knowing what Niles is going through. And they have this really kind of nice little conversation. Roy's advice is that he's come to peace with living this day and experiencing what he can of it in Irvine. And he says, find your Irvine, which I thought was a nice little mantra. It's an encouragement to enjoy what you have and relish it and really find something to lock onto if you're experiencing this repetitive hell. Yeah, I thought this was a good scene. And we get a little bit of deeper thought on the implications of acting badly, even if there's no consequences. For one, Roy says that the reason he hasn't come around the wedding for a while and messed with Andy Samberg is that Kristen Milioti like snapped at Roy and crushed his pelvis between two cars. So he went to the hospital and he said that the people at the hospital wouldn't let him go to sleep for risk of him going into a coma. And since going to sleep is what triggers things to restart, he had to be there suffering in bed with a crushed pelvis and it really sucked. There's a point earlier in the movie when Sarah says something along the lines of, oh, let's just go crazy. Why, why not? You know, why not mess with people? Why not hurt people or whatever? Indulge in whatever kind of chaos you might feel you want to on a whim. And Andy Samberg says, even if they don't remember what we do, we have to. So it's like, even if there's no other consequences, if you do a bad thing, you remember that you did a bad thing. And I thought that was kind of interesting. That's something that is never talked about in Groundhog Day. Yeah, not really. It's almost like a PTSD type thing, you know? How soldiers say the worst part is the killing when they have to go to war. That's the only thing about going to war. Is that a reference to a movie we talked about here? No, it's a reference to um, Futurama. Uh, when he says the worst thing about being a slave is they make you work but they don't pay you or let you go (laughs) that's the only thing about being a slave oh that's pretty funny so right after this day which ends humorously another like tonal shift where Niles is like well can you just kill me so I don't have to fight traffic and Roy's like yeah yeah sure and then they go outside and he shoots him through the heart with a bow and arrow which it's just a very funny moment how casual it is. And he's already in a trash can. (laughs) So right after this loop, we cut back. This is what you're talking about, about shifting perspectives and and timelines. We cut back to Sarah waking up the day after she gets hit by that truck, had that blow up with Niles. And she decides that she's going to solve her way out of the time loop. She's going to figure it out. We get this montage of her spending days learning quantum physics, gradually piecing together what is the relativistic cause of the time loop? What would Einstein say about this time loop, etc.? We see her experimenting with the cave. She sends the goat into the cave with explosives. And we'll eventually learn that this goat has escaped the loop that she and Niles are in. Any thoughts on her basically learning this, this quantum stuff as the cause of and solution to the time loop. 
I liked it. It makes sense. I mean, it's kind of an extension of what we see in Groundhog Day, where he spends a lot of time learning new skills. And it makes sense that the thing that you would study is quantum science to hopefully better understand what is going on. And, you know, you could argue, well, quantum science would be really hard. It, not just anybody can pick that up. But if you have infinite time, it's like, sure, every little bit is going to be progress. So you could theoretically learn anything. So why not? The one limitation, though, is you really have one day. I mean, I guess it's not one day because you could stay up for more than 24 hours. But like when she has these conversations with scientists, she basically had to arrange those immediately. It couldn't be the scientists would be like, oh, let's meet at 10 a.m. on Monday. Or maybe it would be, and she would just have to stay awake that long. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Katie kept pointing those out, and I think you did too. Later we'll see. Like, just acquiring the explosives. To do that in one day. That's the big one for me, is where where did she get the bomb-making materials? <laughs> because that's what she determines, is that if you set off a bomb just at the moment that you're being sucked down the time tunnel, it'll like knock you loose. Right. So after we, we see this, it then cuts back to Niall's perspective and we get the cue of him waking up. Wake up, looking at his eyes. But something is different this time. It's the first time we've seen the wake up, not from Misty, his cheating girlfriend, but from Sarah. That's maybe a cue that something is kind of different here. I got to say, I got, I don't know why, but something where we get a slight variation on this thing that had been this, what's the word? This thing that you can cling to, that you can fall back on as like your trusted structure. When that gets twisted up, that was effective for me. It gave me the chills. Mm -hmm. And they have this kind of conversation, reconciliation. Niles very quickly basically apologizes for everything and admits that he has strong feelings for her. And she's kind of like half smiling, barely listening. And she explains that she figured it out. They can escape the time loop. But then Niles is hesitant at this. He's scared. He's like, I don't want to leave the time loop. He, he says explicitly, no, I'm saying no, I won't leave with you. I feel like the movie didn't fully explore this because a year is a long time. I mean, 2020 has taught us that. Just think about, it's been almost a year now since we've been locked down. It's been 11 months and it feels like forever. Imagine if that was even more stifling and it was even longer. I, one of the bits from the commentary track was that the writer kind of tongue in cheek said when somebody asked him how long this time loop had gone on for Niles, he thought it was somewhere between 40 and 40 million years. And obviously that's like a joke that you're not ever going to know and it's not meant to be known. But even let's just say that the 40 years is correct. 40 years of literally the exact same reality no previous connection to your previous life or any experience with anything being any different. That would be like terrifying and not just terrifying. Oh, but you got to do it anyways. You got to be brave. But I feel like there would be severe readjustments. Like you probably would never recover to a normal life. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it would be like torture. Like uh, everything you've taken for granted about consequences and what powers you have and the way that you can learn things and manipulate people is down the toilet. And I don't know. I want to see a time loop movie that really explores not the consequences of the time loop itself, but of exiting the time loop. 
Because I feel like there's some fertile psychological material there. And I mean, I think there's just a cost to the decision to give up immortality. Sure. Yeah. This is what you know now. And this is who you are. Yeah. And to have that suddenly gone. So I empathize with him saying no, even though we're supposed to be rooting for him to leave. But her plan is to live a normalish, semi-ideal version of the wedding day, but certainly not the Groundhog Day, get everything absolutely right version of this loop. And an important thing is she basically forgives herself. She gives her sister and her family the love they deserve on, on this special day. And we get a brief glimpse of her explaining the gist of her plan over the phone and we'll eventually learn this to be Roy. She's kind of explaining the science of it all. And we see Niles in despair. He's at the bar where we've seen him a bunch of times and he has this coming to God moment where he realizes he would rather be with Sarah out of the loop than alone in the loop. Then we get our airport chase. We talked about the, in the romantic comedy, there's always the, the last chase. Will he make it in time? And our version here is he, he races after her and the car tire pops and he has to manipulate someone one more time. Yeah, he has to keep calling on the help of these people that he's come to know just by looping through the day over and over. And he manages to just make it in time. He professes his love, which she reciprocates, but there's like a reservedness about it where she's very like focused on let's do this thing here. They walk into the cave, they detonate the bomb, and they share this kiss. And it's iconically framed, in my opinion, instantly iconically framed by an explosion and that kind of stretching, bursting of energy. Um, and this, this really striking and notable shot of them kissing as the loop concludes, presumably. I follow a Twitter account called One Perfect Shot, and they have tweeted out that moment of them doing the kiss. It's like they do stills from movies that are supposedly perfect and memorable. So now we're waiting to see if this worked. Right. We get some of like this stock background footage of science-y stuff happening, and it cuts to Niles and Sarah floating into a pool that they had previously visited earlier, basking joy and peace, only to be interrupted by the owners of the pool where they reveal that it's the next day. I guess the next day is when the owners of the pool come back. And then the movie ends as it pans to dinosaurs in the distance, the same dinosaurs they had seen on the previous mushroom trip. The last thing we get is a little stinger of Ray confronting Niles at the wedding. And Niles does not recognize Ray, which seems to be confirmation to Ray that the plan to escape the time loop worked. So I have a lot of questions. This raised many, many questions to me, the way that these last couple of scenes go. Yeah, I have a couple as well. So the first is, let's say that we take it at face value and they escaped, and that is them at the next day. So which version of the day was the real one? I mean, you would think it would be the last one, but where did they wake up? Because the day ended with them blowing themselves up in the cave. So if that was really the real version, where did they end up? They end up in the bed that they would have ended up in, but they didn't because the way that the day that they just lived was, it ended in the cave. Or was it the very first version of the day? Or what was it? I don't know. 
yeah, maybe they came out the other side of the cave or, you know, it was the moment that they went into the cave. So like nighttime on that day, but stuff was progressing. I'm not really sure. They don't give you the answer here. So one interesting takeaway that I had from the commentary track I watched is that although they were like tight lipped on what they think happened or what they intended to happen, either the writer or the director, one of those two people who merged into one person for me said, we wanted this to be intentionally ambiguous and not be clear exactly what had happened or if they had escaped the time loop, which I think it's pretty clear. They actually did escape the time loop. This isn't like an afterlife situation. I mean, maybe if they had just been floating in the pool and had hadn't been confronted by the family saying it was the next day, I could see an afterlife reading of that. But I don't think, I think it's pretty clear. They, they made it out of the loop. They're living in the next day. I agree. I think it's pretty clear that they made it through. And that's another commonality with Groundhog Day, which is that finally at the end, yeah, we yeah. get to see a little bit, little taste of the next day. Another question I had, this payoff of Ray confronting Niles at the wedding as sort of confirmation that Niles escaped the loop and that Ray has the possibility to do so also raises questions to me because when the loop is closed, when you escape the loop, does that mean that Roy's final day will be different from Niles and Sarah's final day and that he'll have his own parallel universe where he is the only one who went through the time loop? I think that's what we have to conclude. And yeah, this bugged me a little bit because I think they really should have done more to bring Roy along on their escape attempt. I guess it would have made the exploding kiss awkward, having him third wheeling there in the tunnel. J.K. Simmons just standing off to the side, twiddling his thumbs. I mean, they dragged Roy into this. They should help him out because now Roy is going to have a lot of work ahead of him. Even if Sarah explained the plan to him, which it sounds like she did at some point, he's still going to need to procure his own explosives. But I guess in this world, you can just get explosives anywhere (laughs) all the time because she didn't really seem to struggle with that aspect of it. So maybe he'll be okay. But, But even so, it would be very strange. That bothered me a little less, and even bringing it up now, I'm thinking of a lot of what we see of Roy is he's (laughs) he's got like a lot of this military equipment, like tortures Niles in some of the cuts, and he's got these guns and bow and arrows and stuff. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past to have some sort of explosives, although maybe that's that's a good point. He's got an arsenal, but I do have another question about this, which is that. So the way Sarah says she proved her theory that setting off a bomb will knock you out of the time tunnel, she says she practiced it on the goat that we see at the beginning. (laughs) And that she strapped this bomb to the goat and that she knew it worked because then the goat was not in subsequent iterations of the loop. But we see that Roy runs into first iteration Niles wearing his tux, acting the way he would have done on the quote-unquote real day of the wedding. So there's like a fill-in Niles here, a normal, unlooped Niles who is there, which means there should be a normal goat there. 
And how would Kristen Milioti be able to tell the difference between a looped goat and a non-looped goat? I completely agree. It just further points out that there are open questions and perhaps inconsistencies about how closing the time loop, escaping the time loop works. The last thing that I think is probably worth discussion is what the hell is up with the dinosaurs, but that one didn't really bother me too much. I think it's pretty clearly mumbo jumbo that ties together the quantum stuff with the emotional arc of the characters. That's just kind of this weird totem off to the side to tie it together. Didn't, didn't think it's just kind of symbolic and artsy. Yeah. But I was also wondering like, you know, how long has this time cave been there out in the desert? Maybe those dinosaurs are looping somehow, or maybe people who have looped can see them. Ooh, interesting. I don't think that's what it is, but I, think it might be neat if it was so you could have like sequels to this of other people living loops in different time periods of different scenarios right and we get that's how we bring in leopold (laughs) this extended universe maybe uh phil connors appears there's at some point too so that wraps up palm springs 2020 i'm ready to start breaking down the good things and the not so good things in this film. What about you, Brian? Yeah, let's keep on trucking. So, my first good thing, this is really from a romantic comedy perspective. I think Sandberg and Miliati have really good chemistry. And for breezy romantic comedies, this one's maybe not quite so breezy because it's got time loop, but tonally it's fairly breezy. Having good chemistry between lead actors and actresses is just as, if not more important than the actual script and the stuff that happens. Like it's all about seeing these people interact and believing the romance and feeling the sparks and delighting in their presence. And that for me worked here. I thought that was pretty good. And it's just delightful watching them fall in love in this loop completely escaped from the outside world. And as I was thinking about it, I actually think the time loop provides a really interesting metaphor for falling in love in general, at least love that lasts. So it starts with you completely escaped from the world. You're totally swept away in the romance. And that just has you at a measure of distance from the reality that everyone else is living. But eventually you need to figure out how to reintegrate that love back into reality. You need to get the reality and the romance to intersect. And so the time loop provides a literary structure for that exact arc of love, I suppose. And I thought both the leads in general were very good. Did you enjoy them? I did. So I've seen Andy Samberg in a good number of things. Um, This was really my first exposure to Kristen Milioti. But I think they did have chemistry, and they were both pretty funny. So effectively delivered on both halves of a romantic comedy. Yeah, I like Samberg when he is a little less broad and a little less wacky. I know that's kind of how he made his name, but I think he's he's a pretty decent actor, and he, he sold most of the angles of the character, although, again, I wish they could have plunged deeper into the trauma of leaving the time loop a little bit more. And then, so I'll keep this brief on Miliati. There is a Friends episode where they basically come up with this idea that every person who's in a relationship can have a list of five celebrities that if those celebrities were to romantically pursue the person, then 
you are allowed to break the fidelity rules of your relationship and go be romantically involved with that person. So me and my wife do not have such a list, but if I had a list, Miliati would be on that list. I find her insanely appealing and attractive and fun, and I want to see her in more things. And I just think she is always fun on screen. She's a good actress, and she just lights it up. Who's the one in The Night Before? What's her name? The brunette in that? Oh, <laughs> seem to have somewhat of a similar vibe in just the sense of being a, like a quirky brunette. I think you're thinking of Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah, is she anywhere on that list? I haven't fleshed out this list. I think Lizzie Kaplan would be a strong candidate for that list as well. Okay. I guess I like the somewhat dry, somewhat quirky brunettes. So one thing I thought this movie did that was in some ways a departure, in some ways more of the same compared to Groundhog Day, they chose to have one character start the story in medias res in terms of the time loop. He's already been going through it for a long time. Now, early on, this was a concept that they thought they might explore in Groundhog Day. Uh, Like, there's a scene halfway through where Phil robs an armored car because he knows the time that the doors are going to be hanging open and nobody will be looking, so he just walks up and takes the money. And I think that might be one of the few movies that I've listened to the commentary on, and they said something like, that was the original concept for the opening scene of the movie. Oh, interesting. That they were just going to have him going around, going through the loop, doing everything perfectly in the sense that he's able to exploit everything that's happening. And that's kind of how we get introduced to Niles here. He's not as blatant, but like people trip and he slips a chair under them and he's, you know, he's just kind of coasting through everything that's happening around him. Right. But Palm Springs kind of has their cake and eats it too because we have the one character who is already an old hand at time looping but he also has the power to initiate people. So we also get to see characters who aren't as far along in their journey. And we see Sarah from the beginning. Yeah, this exact dynamic was also in my list of good things. I think it works well for exactly the reasons you described. And I think from a romantic comedy perspective, it also works really well. For reasons we've also already talked about like having both people in the time loop but have different levels of experience of it is much more compelling dynamic yeah it's a very different kind of love story when in groundhog day you have bill murray who needs to keep winning over andy mcdowell over the course of one day right he's basically in like a 51st dates situation where he's got to bring her up to speed on why she should like him within the course of a day over and over and you know depending on how you read that there's potential for definitely manipulation and possibly creepiness uh here though when they're both in the loop it's like now they have an eternity together to kind of figure things out and it's just a very different love story dynamic yeah Another thing I love about this movie is I think it's just really remarkably well-made and visually gorgeous for a low-budget indie from a first-time director and first-time writer. 
there's a lovely variety to the hues that you see. There's the mix of the bright resort colors, but also the subdued desert yellows and browns. And it's not just pretty to look at, but those kind of have a thematic purpose too. It's like the same way there's highs and lows and brights and darks in the time loop. You kind of see that reflected in the way things look as well. And it's just a movie that you can sink into. I, I like movies that are in tropical resorty places because you just want to be there. You just get to sink into it. And I, I think this is a, a pleasure to look at as a film. It reminded me a lot of the color palette of High School Musical 2. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. I, I agree. I think the movie is also pretty funny. It, it is, I would say, more of a comedy than Groundhog Day, or at least more of a comedy beyond Groundhog Day being just Bill Murray doing Bill Murray things and making his sardonic quips. Um, there's like lots of gags, visual gags, surprising things happen here and there. And one thing I noted is I think it does a good job with the way the side characters have these distinct funny personalities that you get just blips of them just in and out. Like there's this one groomsman who gets really intense all the time and he has a lot of funny moments and there's Darla or whatever her name is at the bar. And I actually that swivels around to one of my not so good things, which is I wanted more of the side characters we don't really get arcs for any of them. I mean, I guess you can't in a, a time loop, but I still managed to, for example, feel like I knew Chris Elliott's character or Stephen Tobolowski's character in Groundhog Day more than I got to know any of the side characters here, which was a little bit of a shame because they had a really good cast. They had Peter Gallagher as the father of the bride. So I've seen Peter Gallagher in something. What What are some things he's done? Well, for me... His Hall of Fame role is the dad in the OC. He's awesome in that. Very funny, but also very good. Um, he's just been in a lot of... He pops up in dramas and comedies and side roles all the time. He's just kind of like a character actor type. Typically plays like a very Jewish New York-y type guy. But yeah, I did I did like the, the side characters and thought they added some good good comedy. Another thing I admired about the film that I kind of already touched on is that it does a really good job of what I called here the tonal two-step. Never staying too long in one tone before a quick leap to another tone. Very often cutting from something that's a little more romantic or sentimental into something like broad or violent. And the two examples I mentioned of that were when the very first hookup, he gets shot in the back with a bow. And then towards the end of the conversation with Roy, Roy just, he's like, can you come kill me now? And then he shoots him in a trash can. So I, I thought it was pretty good bouncing around between the different tones and not getting boring in that. Yeah, you can get away with a lot more sudden, brutal violence in a world without consequences. Like when the bride falls and shatters her face and Right, that's a good point. When it can be wiped away a moment later, you can get a little <laughs> broader with the blood. Another one that I would put in the category of mixed is Roy, the character. So I love J.K. Simmons. I love the Find Your Irvine scene, and I love the idea of this character. But I also felt like it was a missed opportunity. And you kind of touched on this too. He 
wasn't really involved in anything consequential other than that last minute pep talk for Niles and I guess triggering Sarah going into the, the cave. But I, I wanted a little more from this character because he was really very much a monkey wrench and everything else going on. Right. Yeah, I mean, having him there all the time causing chaos would take away from the arcs of our two main characters. So I, I think they realized that they had an interesting idea with this earlier attempt at bringing somebody into the loop, but then they had to kind of find a way to keep him off to the side yeah, and not really fully address him to avoid some of the pitfalls that that would entail. That's true. And one thing I learned from the commentary track was he was added in one of the very last drafts of the script because they felt like they needed one more thing in the story. And they came up with this idea of another character being in the loop who kind of periodically shows up. And I agree it works overall. I guess I felt like there was just something missing from it, but I don't really have anything more specific than that. The only other thing I'll add about J.K. Simmons is I think I will line up La La Land as a pick at some point, which is just another movie where at one point we see events play out a different way and J.K. Simmons is involved. Here is an unformulated idea. Our next theme month, whenever we do that, May or June or July or something, let's do a J.K. Simmons theme month where... We pick movies that J.K. Simmons is in. I like it. Can have a Zootopia. Oh, good one. So that kind of covers my list of good things. Was there anything you wanted to add before we shifted to some of our complaints? No. I'll probably come back when we are assigning value judgments. Sure. Certainly this movie had some good stuff. Agreed. But let's turn a more critical eye now. So some not so good things about Palm Springs 2020. I would say overall, the final half hour of the movie felt off to me. We have very little of Miliati. There's much more focus on Sandberg and his kind of despair. And even when we do get Miliati, she's like laser focused on this getting out of the time loop and learning quantum physics thing. We get very little interaction with the leads. And although I like Sandberg, I've mentioned, I don't think he sells the existential last bit of dread and fear and desperation that are in some of those last couple of loops before he leaves. Particularly from that last half hour, the very end, the last couple scenes, I felt like they didn't hit the mark on the correct amount of ambiguity. They kind of straddled it where you could either go really ambiguous, like basically have it end with the final explosion and go straight to the dinosaur or Maybe we get them floating in the pool, but we don't know if it's the next day or not. Or go the other route and make it do what Groundhog Day does and make it very clear how the escaped functioned and how they react to that and how they follow up to that. It felt like they tried to go both ways with it and that did not work for me. So the one thing that stuck out to me and kind of held things back in my opinion was and it's not a big thing. It's just the little bit of muddiness caused by occasionally jumping back and seeing things uh, again from a different character's perspective. And I don't know. I, I just think that there's some way to keep things moving forward and still accomplish that same right. goal. 
not go backwards. Yeah. Although I will say I liked what it did with gradually revealing things about the initial loop. Agreed on that one. Yeah. That was something I wasn't expecting, and I thought it served the story well. Another thing that bothered me a little bit about this film is, I've already talked a lot about it, so I won't spend too much time here. It dips its toes into considering the psychological impact of living day after day with no consequences to any of your action, but it doesn't take the full plunge. Um, I also think towards the end that the romantic comedy didn't click quite as much for me as it should have. Sarah's laser focus on escaping the time loop didn't give us great emotional closure. Although I think Miliati sneaks in some good acting to give us hints of what she's going through there, even if the writing didn't. Like she's kind of coming to grips with it, the fact that she could be loved and she has these feelings as she tries to get out of the time loop. I don't know. So that kind of wraps up my criticisms of the film. Did you have any more you wanted to pile on? Not really. I didn't have much about this movie that struck out to me as a setback or a minor note. Um, other than to say I don't know if it's a classic. I think I will watch it again to see how it sticks with me. But overall, I, I would say I liked it. I thought it was a refreshing take on time loops. And it has boosted my enthusiasm for dedicating a month to the topic. Cool. I'm glad. So before we do our Is It Good, one thing we had promised to do here was compare and contrast to Groundhog Day. And I think we've kind of hit on those as we've gone through. But why don't we just briefly summarize on some of the the similar things and some of the different things. So, Brian, why don't you hit us with a couple of the similar things? Sure. So we'll just go bing, bang, boom down this list. Obviously... This is our our new section, How Is It Groundhog Day? And How Is It Not Groundhog Day? So, Palm Springs, like Groundhog Day, is a romantic comedy. I think it's worth pointing out that the central event that the time loop is happening around is some kind of ritual that people are gathering. They've come from many different places to be there. So, in Groundhog Day, it's the festivities to witness... Punxsutawney Phil, and here it's a wedding. We also get a lot of the same stages, like different ways that the characters have of viewing their relationship with the time loop. So we get some scenes where they're pursuing pleasure hedonistically, or they're sunk into suicidal depression. And we get to see in both movies attempts that the characters make to live through a rep of the cycle as as virtuously as possible to potentially escape. And we also get a montage of a character studying and learning new things. Yeah, those are all good ones. I I agree. I think it's probably going to be the closest to Groundhog Day in general of the ones that we watch. I think I already said that, but... I definitely think that'll be true. It has the same approximate cadence of Groundhog Day. Chances are high, I feel. It, yeah, I felt that way from the repetition of him waking up yeah. in the bed. What about some things that are different? So I think we've touched on a lot of them, so I'll go through real quick. 
there's we get a very clear reason scientifically for what's causing the time loop we get a scientific explanation of sorts or like we know that it is science and not just a curse for how they get out which is very different from groundhog day where it's just voodoo in the background and another big one that we talked about is that one character starts in the midst of a time loop although there is someone who enters it the same way bill murray does we get one character perspective from the start having experienced the time loop and of course there's the implications on the love story for that where we have two people in the time loop another thing that's very different is groundhog day is very cold but palm springs is very hot it's in the desert it's at a resort it's at a pool and it makes the movie just feel very different so I wonder if that was intentional to have that so strikingly different. But That's right. We've got the depth of winter versus the heat of summer. It's really the high school musical one, high school musical two dichotomy. Right. And the last thing is just colorfully and visually. Groundhog Day is very muted, but this is largely quite bright, although it has a wide variety in what it does. And But you definitely get more of those, those colors in line with the heat versus cold aspect. So, so I am ready to ask... Is Palm Springs 2020 good, Brian? All right. So I am the guest, so I give a value first. And this one, for me, it hinges just a little bit on how quickly am I going to track somebody down and recommend this movie to them. Because I definitely have positive feelings towards it, and I'm still in the process of gauging just how highly it ranks for me. I think right now I'm going to put a high six on it. A high, very good. Because I think it does a lot of the things that Groundhog Day does well, and in a lot of cases, just as well as Groundhog Day. But I think by the nature of it retreading some of the same ground, maybe it doesn't rank as highly in my mind. Although I think it also does a good job of exploring the same issues in thoughtful new ways. I think that's fair. So there's definitely there's definitely new content here and I was kept intrigued and entertained all the way along. What about you? I'm at about the same place. For me this is I would say a lower end very good, but a very good for me, a 6 out of 8. And I think when this movie is firing, it's firing really well cuz you have the intrinsic fun of a time loop movie combined with a solid romantic comedy pairing. It's just kind of magic when it's working. I don't like it when movies end weaker than they start and it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I think this movie's last half hour is easily its weakest part. And so for that reason, I knock it down a couple of steps. And I I think you're right that in general, because it's like a a retread of a known thing, even though it has its variations, it manages to not quite feel like a classic. It's a good entertaining movie that's very much worth watching, but not a classic. All right. So Brian, what are we going to be? What's our, our next entry in the time loop month the movie i'm going to queue up next is a horror film that until we started doing research for this month i did not know involved a time loop but i'd been meaning to watch it at some point anyway because the title sounded interesting it is happy death day and as of now that's all i know about it is i know the title and now i know it involves a time loop and it's a horror movie so let's check it out i'm looking forward to it all right brian This has been a pleasure, and this would not be the worst day for me to wake up and experience again, because this was a lot of fun to record, so. Good, good, because we've got a lot more of it ahead. We're going to keep on trudging. 
what did the what does he say it's cold it's bleak and it'll last you the rest of your life <laughs> signing off this is dan and this is brian have a good day everyone and join us again on the goods Thank you.